0: Hi, I'm Susan Foch, and when I was 18 years old, I launched a national nonprofit organization out of my freshman college dorm room. Now, with almost a decade of experience under my belt, I'm here to teach you my tried and true tips and tricks for running your own nonprofit or social enterprise, and how to build it from the ground up. You're listening to this podcast because you're ready to make a difference in this world. I see you, I hear you, and I'm ready to help you. Now let's make an impact together. Today, I am thrilled to introduce you to one of my favorite people, um, just in general. She's one of the most kind-hearted, loving, generous, hardworking spirits that you'll ever meet. Um, She's also very important to the Operation Not Alone board. I'm so excited to have Jennifer Schmidt
1: with us today. Jen, can you just introduce yourself a little bit, tell people about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Hi everyone, my name is Jennifer Schmidt. I am currently serving on the Owner Bo- ONA board as the Director of Donor Relations. Uh, kind of how I got my start in the nonprofit world was actually with the Miss America organization. I started competing when I was 15 years old and formed what is a, considered a social impact initiative. And that kind of gave me my first taste of public service. And I started volunteering with a handful of different nonprofits, the American Diabetes Association, um, a local dog rescue called Rescue Gang, and now Operation Not Alone. Um, And it's just been uh, a crazy journey that I never expected to find myself on, but I'm loving every minute of it. (laughs)
0: I love it. So there are two big topics I want to talk about today with you. Um, Number one is how you leveraged all of this free advocacy work that you did um, for diabetes prevention and awareness leading up to the fact that you got your job at ADA. Mm -hmm. And then the second part of it, I want to talk about how to make a killer donor relations program. So First off, let's talk about how you got your job at the American Diabetes Association in Wisconsin. So can you just explain a little bit of your background and your passion for diabetes awareness and where that originally
1: came from? Absolutely. So through the Miss America organization, I formed my social impact initiative, which is diabetes, you have the control. And it's all about promoting type two diabetes as a preventable disease with healthy lifestyle decisions. And I formed this initiative when I was 15 years old. And I started doing some advocacy work in my hometown of Racine, but on just a very small scale. I went to schools and I talked about healthy eating. I talked about physical activity. And then I went to grocery stores and I hosted these free healthy cooking classes with my mom's friend who was a nutritionist. And I was really content with what I was doing for just that one year. And then after that year, I wanted to do something more. And I continued competing in the Miss America organization at the Miss level when I turned 18. And that is when my social impact initiative started to partner with the American Diabetes Association. And how it started really was just finding an organization that aligned in values and in mission of my own. And once I found that, I realized that together we were going to be stronger than we were apart. So I reached out to the local Wisconsin office and volunteered myself and said, look, I am a leader in my community as Ms. Racine, and I you know, want to be an advocate for this organization. Uh, I think we can mutually benefit from helping one, one another. They give me a sense of credibility, and I do a bunch of free work on their behalf. And I thought it was going to be that simple. Um, but it is really difficult getting a, um, an, a national organization to give you that credibility because they don't know who you are, what um, your background is. And so it took a lot of perseverance and um, a lot of just constant communication with the ADA in order to Uh, convince them to give me that credibility and um, eventually they did, they realized that what I was doing in the Miss America organization was important and was impactful in my community and eventually they said that they would give me their stamp of approval basically and they gave me all these resources and different opportunities to go um, into classrooms on a larger scale um, and talk about my social impact initiative. They gave me more grocery stores that I could go into and teach free healthy cooking classes. And um, the opportunities just started to uh, go on from there, and I can talk about, you know, the other things that I have done with it later on, um, if they come up. But it's it really, was a matter of perseverance and showing my um, work ethic and also showing my credibility. And that is how I believe that um, I convinced them to partner with me. And from there, it just moved into, I now have a college degree and I would love to work for uh, the ADA and having them as a reference and a resource already um, really helped. So it's, it's kind of one of those things that just kind of came together that I never really expected to.
0: For sure. So how, I mean, did you talk about that in your job interview? You know, were you able to kind of spin that and give almost like a portfolio of all of these like free advocacy things that you did leading up to, you know, actually getting your job and donor relations for them?
1: Yeah. So My job interview and my boss was actually the woman who I communicated directly with as um, Miss Racine, Miss Badgerland, as a local title holder in the Miss America organization. Uh, So she was the one who I partnered with at all these events and schools and opportunities. She was my point of contact and at the ADA. She was my boss. Um, so it was kind of funny because once I realized that they had an open position, I submitted an application. I turned in my resume and cover letter. Uh, but then I also sent her an email and just pretty much um, put off, put out a soft feeler saying, hi, remember me essentially. Uh, we did all these great things together. I see that the ADA is hiring. I would love to be a part of this team. And um, you know, if you think I'm a great fit, like I would, um, you know, love, love to hear from you. And so when I came into the office, I think she was taken back. Cause I don't, she actually never ended up responding to my email, which is kind of funny, but she, um, I came into the office for my job interview and she's like, Oh my gosh, Jennifer, like, I didn't realize you were the Jennifer we were interviewing today. And so she sat down and of course, all the things that we did together, Um, that were on my resume and in my portfolio, she was already very well aware of. And so um, the interview actually was more geared towards, um, okay, well, what can we do in the future? Because I'm well aware of the things that you've done in your past, but now I want to know how we can grow from here and what's your vision um, for the future. And that was more so, uh, I believe, how I qualified for the position as opposed to um, just my experiences. And I think that's something that can be really important for others who are looking to get into nonprofit work. It's not just about what you have done, but when you're working for a nonprofit with a mission, it's important that you have a mission and a vision for the future as well, because in nonprofit, we're not looking to stay in the same place. We're looking to grow. And especially for nonprofit health organizations, our end goal is eventually to no longer exist. In a perfect world, there will be a cure for diabetes, Um, there will be a vaccination for diabetes. In a perfect world, someday our goal is for it to no longer exist and therefore for us to no longer exist. So it's uh, really important to have this vision and specific mission um, for the work that you are hoping to pursue and you can't just rely on those past experiences.
0: For sure, two things you said jumped out at me. There, number one was the first time a college professor of mine said nonprofit work, like your goal is to one day not have a job because that, <laughs> you fulfilled your mission. Like it's nonprofits are not great job security, just right. in <laughs> regard which no one I think <laughs> understands. Mm-hmm. And two, the other thing, you know, for people like fresh college graduates or high school students wanting to go into nonprofit work. It I think it's really funny versus the for-profit sector because so many things I think stereotypically in the for-profit sector in business, they follow a lot of the model of like this is how it's always been done. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. nonprofits are like, okay, how do we keep growing? How do we evolve with mm-hmm. the times, especially for something like health related? you can't say this is what we've always done and reference something in the eighties <laughs> for, <Right.
1: laughs>
0: 80s. Uh, you know, you always need to be evolving. So I think it's really powerful that you w- were able to go into that interview and say, these are all the things I have done. And here are my plans for the future and hope that they enjoyed those and wanted to take mm-hmm. you on it. So I think that's a really cool way to have a nonprofit interview for sure.
1: Yeah. And it was, It was a really incredible position because the other thing about working for a nonprofit is a lot of times you're given this very broad title. Uh, With the American Diabetes Association, I was the manager of donor relations. And, um, you know, like the director of donor relations for ONA, that encompasses so many different things. That encompasses social media. That encompasses volunteer recruitment, sponsorship um, recruitment, donor Relation and retention, fundraising, third-party fundraising—it's—it's it's so broad because in nonprofit you wear so many hats because they don't have the funding or resources to hire one person for each of those different things. So it was really cool to go into this interview and not just talk about um, what I would be doing in fundraising, which was maybe the immediate um, responsibility as the manager of donor relations, but also to talk about. Um, the mission implementation in the state and uh, how, you know, the mission can uh, equate to more money. One of my favorite sayings is no mission, no money, no money, no mission. Um, And so the two, you know, the fundraising and the mission are go hand in hand. You need to do mission work in order to fundraise for your organization because you need to show what you have done but you also need to fundraise in order to bring your mission to the community um so it's just it's it's such a different um it's such a different job environment but it is absolutely the most rewarding and fulfilling environment i think
0: oh absolutely i i really like that quote one of my favorites i learned in like business 101 (laughs) when i was a (laughs) freshman in college and i was the only person who thought this was funny It was like our first day of class and the professor was going over the different types of businesses, you know, like a self-proprietorship, partnership, corporation, whatever. And he was explaining how all of those levels look at money. And he was like, and then there's nonprofit people. And those are the most ruthless people I've ever met because more money isn't money. It's more money equals more hospital beds for the children. And you're not Mm going to mess with them getting hospital beds. (laughs) And I'm laughing in like a lecture pit and no one else thinks I'm funny. (laughs) Um, But it's true because it's, we have to hustle so much harder because it's Mm -hmm. not like, you know, yeah, your mission isn't getting fulfilled if there's nothing, in the bank to make those things happen. So aside from wearing all of the many, many hats that Mm -hmm. we definitely all have to in nonprofits, what else should someone like fresh entering the workforce, like what should they be prepared for in their career and their day-to-day office life entering a nonprofit job versus like a, a business corporation job?
1: Kind of going back to what I said earlier, just knowing that you are going to wear many different hats Um, and that every day is going to look a little bit different. When I was working for the American Diabetes Association, there was not a single day where I went into work and the day went exactly as I had planned it to. Uh, Many different things would come up throughout the day, um, and you would be thrown into something that you had uh, absolutely not anticipated, maybe not even had the appropriate amount of experience in order to handle, but there's just so there's just so much that goes on and it's such a fast paced environment. Um, and so you have to be prepared, be prepared to do just about anything. Um, which is, you know, maybe one of the stressful parts about working for a nonprofit, but it's also one of the most exciting. You don't get into a rut of having the same day to day experience and responsibilities. Every day is new and exciting. Super true. Yeah, you can't afford mm-hmm.
0: a nonprofits. No. Um so really quickly before we move into our our next big topic, can we quickly talk about because I know you and I have talked about this personally. <laughs> how terrible job mm-hmm. hunting is. Like that's a soul sucking process, especially when you're like a fresh college grad and no one talks about
1: it. Oh my goodness. I completely agree. Um, so as much as at the beginning of my story might sound very linear, linear, I graduated college and then started working for the ADA. It's not that linear. I applied to maybe a hundred, maybe 150. I lost count quite honestly, uh, jobs before I landed that job with the American Diabetes Association. And it is really a, a process that takes a lot of determination, a lot of grit, and it is exhausting and it can feel very defeating when sometimes you submit an application and you don't even hear back a no. You don't even hear back a yes. So you're just sitting there holding on to maybe a little bit of hope that, oh, you know, maybe I'll hear back from them. But, you know, sometimes you just don't. And it is, it is something that, I know you and I have talked about this. We just wish more people would talk about it because I think there's this expectation that you graduate college with a degree and now a job is just going to fall into your lap or, you know, one of the first five that you apply to will work out and that's not the case. Um, and I want every recent college grad to know that it's, it's, doesn't speak to you or your experiences. It's just the way that it is. Um, and that you will absolutely find the right job. Things do have a way of working out for how they're supposed to. And I also, my heart really just goes out to recent college grads right now, especially knowing, um, that there's not a lot of places hiring right now. So add, you know, what is, already a tough situation add a global pandemic uh, to that and my heart just really goes out to those recent college grads I I understand the situation you're in because I am also currently unemployed I'm also currently looking for a job and I know how disheartening the process is Um, but believe me when I say things work out the way that they're supposed to oh absolutely and it's And you're right. It's so much harder
0: because you and I, like both of our paying jobs, like got affected by (laughs) COVID. Um, I can't imagine being like 21 or 22, whatever I was when I graduated college and being like, okay, let's go find a job in this pandemic. But also it's hard because so many people have this idea of like, you know, people know it like your college degree is not a golden ticket into your job mm-hmm. anymore. But it's not, and it's not just like, but also have twelve internships, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, be like, <laughs> have this killer resume, and have sixty years of experience. But at twenty two, it's mm-hmm. it's so crazy. Well, and I try to say this to people a lot too. Um, like the first thing I did for a paycheck after I graduated with my bachelor's was. Wash dishes at Door County (laughs) Coffee. Real story. That was my first paycheck. Was I was washing dishes, and then literally the week after I graduated, and this is just a month ago, uh, with my master's degree from Northwestern, I got furloughed at my job. So (laughs) no one is immune. No, (laughs) no. And that's. But again, no one talks about that. Like job hunting is soul sucking, and it's hard too because you look at so many jobs, and you're like, oh my god, I would be perfect for that and then Mm -hmm. never hear back from them. Right. (laughs) So annoying.
1: On that, um, I also, so once I got my college degree, I needed to do something like you in the meantime between uh, receiving my degree and getting my quote unquote big girl job. Um, So I became a hostess at a restaurant, Cafe Hollander, uh, that is right by my apartment. And it was so funny because I am, I was 23 at the time with a college degree and my coworkers were like 15 16 year olds in high school and i remember just feeling like why, you know why am i here like what you know i have a degree and i just always assumed that with the degree came a career and that wasn't the immediate you know case and it's you know something that i think definitely needs to be normalized and i also think it's something that should be normalized because it is important for you not to accept the first job that the first job offer that you get. Um, that was one thing that I felt a lot of pressure to do because I did get one or two offers between um, my degree and working for the ADA that would have paid okay, but that I probably wouldn't have enjoyed doing and wasn't necessarily the right fit for my uh, cr- the career path that I wanted to be on. And so I you know, wish that it would be normalized, um, how lengthy this process is, one, so that people, you know, don't feel disheartened when they don't hear back or don't get the perfect job right away. But two, that then then they don't feel pressure into accepting a job that um, doesn't lead them down a path of being in a healthy and fulfilling career.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I, cause I even did that, like on so many mm-hmm. interviews, people would be like, well, and how do you feel about this? Or do you have any experience in this? And I was like, no, but I'll learn. I promise. Like <laughs> what do you want me to do? I just need a fricking paycheck. <laughs> and people would be like, okay, no, um, yeah. it's true. Cause I feel like, especially at that young age and we are just so desperate to get mm-hmm. something on our resume, to get some money coming in that we're sitting there and we're like, we will mold and conform and shift whatever you need us to do, like just teach us. And, but most jobs don't necessarily always want that as well because right. they know you're not, they're not going to keep you for very long. So it's a catch twenty two. too, but I'm really glad you said that. Cause yeah, you have to be just as, as picky with, mm-hmm. you know, where you're going to give all your, your time and energy. Like work is such a huge part of our lives and you have to really love where you're going to spend 40 to, however many hours a week work. So. (laughs) Absolutely. Bring a piece of Door County home with Door County Delivered, a service delivering local Door County products straight to your doorstep, including options to customize or gift your boxes, use them for hospitality, weddings, corporate gifts, and more. Experience the taste and charm of Door County with local products from local businesses. Because when you support local, you're impacting the lives of hardworking individuals. When you support Door County Delivered, well, you're supporting Door County. For 5% off your next box, head to doorcountydelivered.com and use the code ONA2020. That's O-N-A 2020 and get a box of Door County delivered right to your doorstep wherever you are. All right, so let's switch into the second half of this, which is, um, so your role with ADA, now your role with Operation Not Alone, um, something that you're just amazing at, which is donor relations. Um, I think donor relations is one of the hardest parts of nonprofits because you are getting donors, you're getting fundraising. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really hard to get a new donor invested in your organization, especially Mm -hmm. in a really big way. So what is the best way to sign on a new donor and basically having to sell someone your mission and get really nothing in return? (laughs) Right.
1: Well, you make a a lot of really good points there. I think one of the Biggest misconceptions about nonprofit work is that it's not business. Um, But nonprofit and particularly donor relations and fundraising is sales. But you're not selling a tangible product, you're selling a mission. Something that a lot of people uh, can't see. And if they don't believe in your mission, they can't envision for themselves. So why would they want to invest in it? Um, So I think the first the first thing is to wholeheartedly believe in the mission yourself, Um, because it's really hard to sell a mission, something that's intangible, maybe right now, um, if you yourself don't believe in it. Uh, You can say all the right words, but if you don't believe it in your heart, then they're not going to believe it either. Um, And that is why I felt like the ADA was such a great fit for me, was because I their mission is something that I had worked on for eight years leading up to my career with them. And so like in my heart, I believed in it. I lived it. I worked for it every single day. Um, And so I think that's really important with, um, you know, recruiting um, volunteers, recruiting sponsors, and getting those fundraising dollars is believing in the mission yourself. And then Second, recognizing that there is a place for everyone in your organization, but as the donor relations manager, it is up to you to figure out what that place is. So when looking for new sponsors um, or even just new donors, a lot of times I would do some research before meeting them and figure out what their values are. Um, And it might not be directly our values. It might not be health or diabetes. It might be children. Um, There was a company that really valued um, children and um, their involvement in the community. So when, when I realized and highlighted that value, I, instead of talking to directly about diabetes I talked to them about our diabetes camp for children with type 1 diabetes and was able to get them to sponsor and donate to that specific event that specific camp because it aligned with their values it wasn't exactly the overall overarching um, mission of the ADA but it was there it was a specific piece of our mission that they aligned with um you know, there's always a place for someone in your organization, but as the donor relations person, it's up to you to figure out what it is.
0: Oh, that is such good advice. I remember working at the Make-A-Wish Foundation and my boss there made the same comment. She was like, anything, like you can make anything fit. <laughs> you can make yep. <laughs> um, like business, person, like fit. You just have to, you just have to present it in the right way and spin it in the right way. Um, so I like yeah, that note, definitely like research your people Mm -hmm. before you go in and see, yeah, what what they like, what their values are. I love it. Um, So aside from obviously signing on that new donor, you've got to keep donors happy (laughs) so that they (laughs) come back. Uh, They hopefully keep giving you money. What are the keys to maintaining a successful donor relations program?
1: Um, Thank you. It is a very obvious piece that I think a lot of large organizations forget is sending thank you notes um, or thank you emails for whether, whatever it is they donated, whether it was their time, their money, their in-kind donation. Making sure that you say thank you is the first step to retaining that retaining that relationship. And I know it's something, Susan, you talk about, and you actually brought this to my attention. I was completely unaware of it, that it's actually illegal to not send a thank you note to someone who's donated to your nonprofit. That's correct, right? It is.
0: But when I first heard that, I thought they meant like a cute handwritten something. So a Mm. formal thank you note that you're legally obligated to send um, is it's a thank you. And it's also their tax receipts so that they have it yeah. when they file taxes the next year. So it has to mm-hmm. have, um, more specific details on the donation, your EIN or your employer identification for sure. um, the date of the donation. I always try to make a little asterisk at the bottom too, um, signifying that, you know, no goods or services were, we gave mm-hmm. no goods or services in exchange for this donation. Uh, you know, So it is different. So you have the formal legal one that you have to send. Sure. And you also have <laughs> the cute one, because I think yep. that, especially if it's a... <laughs> I'm not saying, especially if it's a big donation, because all donors are very important, but you know, especially <laughs> if, if someone went a little above and beyond, like you want to go above and beyond back for them to make them really feel appreciated.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I completely agree with that. So I, I definitely think a thank you in whatever capacity that you are able to, whether that's in email, a card or a, you know, gift package, a thank you is so important. Um, to recognize their donation and make them feel appreciated. I think sometimes larger nonprofits can get kind of an ego and th- just expect these donations, especially when someone donates, you know, $5. And yes, we would get those in the mail all the time. Um, we would get something as small as, you know, $5, $10, $20, but All of those individuals got a thank you note from myself and the ADA uh, because their donation mattered and they needed to know that. And then I think the second most important piece is recognition, especially for those uh, big -er donors, maybe not bigger in terms of money, but just, you know, organizations or companies. A lot of times they want the recognition on social media or on your website, um, and you know, their, of course, their their donation should match the size of the recognition that they get, um, because we want to leverage more and more, um, a bigger and bigger donation, I guess I should say, um, but it's important to recognize them because. A lot of times, those companies and those organizations want the recognition. Um, they want to feel good about what they did, and they they want people to know that they did something good. Um, and honestly, I think even though there's kind of a little bit of, um, uh, like, a little bit of a um, bad, you know, taste that people get in their mouth when they want, you know, someone to, they want... They want to do something good so that they get the recognition. I think it's kind of a great thing because I think when you do something good or when a company does something good, they inspire other people to do something good. I know that's kind of a campaign that the American Heart Association has been uh, pursuing right now. It's show us your good. We want people to show us that they've done something good because when they show it, they inspire someone else to do it. Um, So just recognizing the good things that People, companies, and organizations have done, and let them have that recognition, let them have that feel good moment because they're going to inspire other people to do something as well.
0: Oh, I love that. And you're so right. I don't remember when I read this, but I once remembered a staff that said, Because people were feeling weird about, like, posting even just how much you were volunteering on social media. And some people were like, oh, well, it seems really braggy to be like, aren't I a great person? (laughs) Right. How am I volunteering? And what this article was saying was – it's actually like more selfish to keep it to yourself, which yeah. sounds really weird. they're I mean, like, because when you're doing that and then you share that, other people will get inspired, um, especially if it's something that really resonates with them. Like you're going mm-hmm. to release some of those like feel good hormones in that person, inspiring them to do it mm-hmm. and keep that ripple effect. So when I read it where it was like, no, it's selfish to not post on Facebook, <laughs> like, that's a weird way to phrase it.
1: But I agree with
0: the sentiment, so no, you're right on that. And the other thing, too, I think it's funny because donors and just people in general, like, they like getting their recognition Mm -hmm. in all different ways, and I think it's even important to know what those are depending on how closely you can get to your your donor Uh, because some people really want, like, a great social media shout-out. Some people want, Mm -hmm. like, a card with a signature from – everyone in the organization, some people want like a little, a little coffee uh, Mm -hmm. basket. You know, everyone wants a little something different because it'll mean just a little something different to them, which I think is, it's so funny, but it is crucial to make sure that they feel appreciated in like their love language, essentially.
1: Definitely. Yeah. I, and also anyone who listening who doesn't know, Susan is the queen of care packages. Thank you packages. (laughs) I mean, it is literally a part of operation not alone's mission but Susan sent me the sweetest care package when i joined the ONA board and i was like oh yeah i like i was like this is this is like what susan's good at she's really good at sending care packages thank you packages and um it was really cool to like see that and experience that for myself because i was like wow it was above and beyond oh <laughs> so my God.
0: well Thank you. I definitely like mine too when I can make them as customized to the person as possible to what I know, but also mm-hmm. like I love making them like a little bit of a surprise. <laughs> like I <don't laughs> know when people don't know that I'm sending it. So I really them, <laughs> like off guard. That might sound weird, but that's my favorite. Cause like I feel like when you expect it, then you put like whether it's intentional or not, you put weird expectations on this right. like you gift. So if it's like always <laughs> different every time <laughs> yeah, like- um, it I don't know that was weird. So, okay. Um, what is something that really surprised you in learning more about donor relations, fundraising, or like what was your biggest eye opener, um, in any of your experiences?
1: I was actually surprised to learn how willing people are to donate. Um, and again, donate can mean anything from their time to their money, to their resources. Um, but that all you have to do is ask. I was really nervous coming into my role with the ADA because, um, again, I knew exactly who I wanted to work for. I knew I wanted to work for the ADA, Um, but when I first started, I didn't know exactly um, what that would look like and how how I would fit in. I had, of course, this larger mission and vision, um, but, I knew that I was going to be starting in donor relations, and I was nervous because I had never, you know, been involved in sales or fundraising before that. So asking people for money uh, specifically is such an awkward topic, and I was really nervous to be the sole person in our office (laughs) who was in charge of doing that. Um, But I was so surprised to learn that all you have to do is ask and I would say nine times out of 10, you get a yes. And again, part of that is recognizing and realizing where those donors might want to donate to. It is you know, some of your responsibility to do some of the work before that ask, but nine times out of 10, you get a yes. And it is one of the um, biggest, best lessons that I learned because I just saw so much good working as the donor relations manager. I saw the good in people. I saw the yeses that I got nine times out of 10. And that was one of the greatest parts of my job. Oh, I love that. And
0: that's true. I think a lot of times people build it up harder in their head that they don't want to do it and they talk themselves out of it. And then they're like, well, it's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) And I think people want to feel good. People want those warm and fuzzies, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of, so let's talk about that. I mean, cause fundraising is basically selling, but mm-hmm. instead of a product or service, you're, bas- you're just selling warm, fuzzy feelings, yes. <laughs> uh, which sounds weird, but it really mm-hmm. is, I think just a shift in that mindset to understand, um, you know, and, and asking for those donations. Like I think that people will start enjoying fundraising a little bit more when they shift mm-hmm. their mindset to that.
1: Definitely. And I think too, a good strategy for selling that mission is having those, whether they're heart wrenching or inspiring stories that relate to your mission, um, to really give people, people a call to action. Uh, that was something that I wasn't really good at at first. Um, I can be a very private person. And so sharing my personal experience with diabetes with my grandmother uh, was really hard for me to do at first, even though I had a social impact initiative where I spoke about it all the time. It was really hard to share that story with strangers. Um, but I realized that sharing those stories, those ones that are, you know, difficult to share, are what inspires people and convinces people to join your mission. Um, And so just being able to make that personal connection and um, give them that call to action is really important as well. Oh,
0: I love that, and you're right. Because it, uh, first of all, your mission doesn't have to be sad or like heartbreaking yeah, yeah. for people mm-hmm. to buy into it. They just want to feel something. They want to feel that you're feeling something. And I think what's hard, and I, I see this a lot, and this is actually one of my like top pet peeves with nonprofits, <laughs> is because uh, because this is a very old way of thinking in nonprofits, and I see this a lot, and <laughs> it, it just it makes me like my skin crawl a little bit. It's <laughs> nonprofits who who ask for donations in this way of almost like guilting you into oh. having some disposable income. They're like, well, you have twenty dollars. You should give it to charity. Oh yeah. Monster. Mm-hmm. Instead of inspiring them to be like, hey, like this is what your twenty dollars like could mean to right. you know, someone getting clean water, someone getting access to this like healthy food, to whatever it is. Um it, it, it's so an old way of thinking. I literally, I'm not going to say who. I got an email that I'm signed up for a few like email marketing things, um, and it was from a, a community foundation, which I'm I'm signed up for quite a few of them <laughs> because I like seeing how other people phrase things. Mm. And this one came through when all of the stimulus checks were hitting, and mm. the subject line of the email literally said, "You don't need your stimulus check; someone oh. else does." Oh no! And I was like. Don't be, I was like, you can't tell people how to spend their money. And it's also absolutely not your place to be like, you don't need your stimulus check. So give it to else. Like it was so rude. And I kind of was just like, I can't believe people are still fundraising that way. Like it should be like, you have the power to create this good for another person, an animal, uh, whatever it is. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I like, I just, I agree with you so wholeheartedly. Like people just want to feel inspired. Like passion yeah. is contagious. They want to right. feel, they don't want to feel guilted yeah. for having 20 bucks in their pocket.
1: <laughs> and I think that goes back to, and I saw this a little bit on the national level of the ADA, just a sense of entitlement or expectation to donations um, and to a certain amount um, and especially working in the Wisconsin office, we struggled with that a little bit because we had these expectations, these um, these numbers to reach um, that were given to us from the national office, but they don't realize, you know, specifically in Wisconsin, you know, how, um, you know, how different it is here. Fundraising in Wisconsin is so much more different than fundraising in California or New York or Texas. Um, it is really, it is so much more community oriented here in Wisconsin. And so we realized that we needed to bring our mission to people in order to inspire them to fundraise. And then that's when we would see the bigger dollars come in, um, and I just think it's something that a lot of bigger nonprofit organizations need to be reminded of is that you are not entitled to those dollars and you need to work for um, them. You, you can't just say, give us your $20. You don't need it. We do because that doesn't work. <laughs> I can't, yeah. I have a hard time believing it ever worked um, but it definitely doesn't work right now.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Oh gosh. Um. So A little bit on this note, if you can talk about this, Mm -hmm. Um, because this still like I still like drop my jaw for this, especially (laughs) the time you told me Um, and I because I think it's I'm asking about the largest, like, feather in your <laughs> donor, donor relations app, because uh, you told me about this, and I, like, mm-hmm. lost it. I thought it was amazing. But I also think it's a great sentiment. I think a lot of this podcast um, audience is younger people, people mm-hmm. wanting to make their difference. And I think this partnership that you were able to leverage at ADA shows, I don't know, just, like, the power that, like, a young person can still do something <laughs> really, really big. You don't need
1: mm-hmm. all
0: this you just need the heart and the ability to go out and kind of like shoot your shot, but like for a partnership. So can you kind of talk about some of the the biggest.
1: (laughs) Yes. So I'm assuming you're referencing the Peloton partnership that I helped leverage for the ADA. Um, so yeah, that, how that all started was I created a relationship with the local Peloton store here in Milwaukee and I connected with the store manager and uh, he expressed interest in um, having a vendor booth at our Wisconsin Tour de Cure, um, which is August 8th. Um, it's not happening in person anymore. It is virtual, but that's a whole nother story. Um, he expressed interest in having a vendor booth uh, because his brand fit our event quite perfectly. Um, Tour de Cure is a ride run Um, biking event and being Peloton, it was a perfect place for him to set up shop and um, hand out some incentives to our participants. And so it was a obvious and um, clear partnership from the beginning for us uh, because he paid us to have a booth at our event and uh, our event gave him hundreds of participants for him to make connections with and try to sell his product to. Um, So that's how we started our relationship. It was, I think, in the beginning of January. And uh, it was really great. We were going to discuss more details of ways that he could be involved. We talked about possibly doing a third party fundraiser with Peloton, um, where a percentage of his sales gets donated to the ADA. But a lot of that was just kind of put on the table in the beginning. No specifics were really discussed. And then COVID happened. Um, And as you can imagine, COVID changed the way fundraising worked. And it changed the way our events were going to be held. Um, So I think it was about mid-April when the ADA made the announcement that all of our Fundraising events would be transitioned to virtual events for the entire year of 2020. Um, And for a couple different reasons. One, that they were being cautious and conservative, especially with the diabetic community being more at risk for experiencing severe uh, symptoms of COVID. They didn't want to be responsible for exposing their community to the disease. And also, fundraising was down 50% and holding an in-person event is extremely expensive. So they needed to transition these events to virtual because even if they aren't able to fundraise as much, they're not having any expenses for having them either. So when the ADA made the announcement that our Wisconsin Tour de Cure was going to be a virtual event, I was really concerned about how we were going to convince people to participate in a athletic event, um, and convince them to pay to do so and then have them do it at home. So pretty much we're just asking people to give us money and then have them exercise at home. Right. And and I, um, I've always felt that it is a very small group of people who want to pay a registration fee to come out to an event and run a 5k. You know, it's a very small group of people. Most people don't want to exercise at all, let alone pay to do it. So I thought we were going to be in a very tough spot, especially now that we don't even have an event to offer them. They're just supposed to do it at home. So I had started using the Peloton app on my phone because it was free, um, for, I think it was 90 days at the start of COVID. And I started using the app to do in-home workouts. Um, and I realized actually what an incredible, um, app that it is. And I said, why can't we partner with Peloton and bring the Tour de Cure to the Peloton app? And so instead of just asking our participants to Run or ride or walk at home. What if we partnered with Peloton, where our fitness class or our you know Tour de Cure was on their app? So we would have my idea was to have ten live classes um, on the app that with the fitness instructors wearing our Tour de Cure ADA branded apparel. And then they were, there were going to be 10 different classes. It would be a 5K um, run and then a 5K walk, um, and then both of those indoor and outdoor, and then also a um, 10, 25, and 50-mile bike ride, also each one indoor and one outdoor, so that there would be a class that would be perfect for someone's fitness level and living environment. Um, Whether they were able to run inside or outside, there was going to be a class for them. And that was my idea. I also recognized that that would involve a national partnership with Peloton and the ADA in that my, uh, my sponsor at the local Peloton office would not be able to make that happen. But I brought the idea to him and I said, look, I have this crazy idea and I think that it would... Both benefit Peloton and the ADA. Um, How can we make this happen? So I pitched him my idea and he thought it was great. And so then he was like, well, let me bring it up to my superior. Um, And he was like, I'll see what they think. And so he did. And I brought my idea to my superior, my boss, and she thought it was a great idea. So then we hopped on a Zoom meeting, the four of us, and, um, you know, discussed the details of what this would look like and everyone was on board. And so my contact with Peloton, he decided that he could bring it um, further up the chain and my boss, she could bring it further up the chain. And before I knew it, I was on a national conference call with (laughs) representatives from both Peloton and the ADA. And it honestly was something that got so big that it was it was at a point where it was completely out of my hands. I was no longer involved in the pitch of the sponsorship or partnership, I should say, but I got to be there, which in and of itself was such an incredible honor and experience because I learned so much from it. Um, And I felt a little, um, there was like a small part of me that was like, darn, like I wish I was the one, you know, giving this pitch to the, uh, Peloton partners. Like, it was my idea. Like, why, why aren't I giving it? But it was also um, really humbling because I did my job. My job was to make those initial contacts and um, come up with those ideas. And it is my boss's job to solidify and finalize those partnerships. Um, so it was kind of one of those things that it's just, I couldn't believe that it got as big as, as big as it did, but it was really cool, uh, to think how a partnership that started off so small grew to be so big. Um, and I don't know if I've said it, um, explicitly on the podcast yet, but I unfortunately lost my job with the ADA. They had to downsize as a result of, um, lack of fundraising, lack of funding. So, um, I don't know exactly where that partnership stands. Um, Or what ended up coming of it, because it was probably about that meeting, that pitch with the Peloton partners and the ADA happened about a week before I did lose my job. So I I don't have a, um, you know, concluding story as to where it all ended up, but it was such a cool thing to be a part of it and um, get it to where it did make it. Oh,
0: absolutely. I just, and even when you originally said it to me, and I know that at that point, um, (laughs) had recently lost your job, I still was in awe of that story. But also I think, uh, I think what it really shows is, and I know this is more an expression from like the dating world, but like, (laughs) just shoot your shot when it comes to, (laughs) comes to, to fundraising and asking for those partnerships. Because number one, that was the kind of creative thinking that you obviously needed um mm-hmm. to do well like in this kind of position and in nonprofits like that absolute like you looking at the Peloton app and just thinking, oh well we should be able to like make something work with this like that is the out thinking outside the box like creative thinking that people absolutely want in nonprofits and mm-hmm. trying to scale something new. But two, I mean, because yeah it's like what what if, if you went to that guy at the Milwaukee store, like the worst he could have said was no, I don't (laughs) want to work out, like, that's not the end of the world, because you just, you never know, like, when someone is going to say yes, like, and how far it can go, because even if it was as small as, you know, maybe we'll do, like, a a one-in-store thing just here in Milwaukee, that still would have been great, like, if it turned into this big national partnership, obviously, like, even better, but you just, you never know until you ask, and I feel like, normalize, like, shooting your shot, (laughs) <laughs> Donors, uh, I love it. Oh my and god! And I
1: think I think one thing about you know I know like you said we're probably more than likely talking to a younger audience here looking to get their start in nonprofit. But I think one of the benefits of being young and new to the nonprofit world is you have the audacity, for a lack of a better word, to think big and. Uh, think, why not? Let's give it a shot. I know that nonprofit burnout is such a real thing. And I honestly saw it with my boss sometimes, and she was very open about it. She would talk about how tired she was and how, um, you know, working for a mission that most likely in your lifetime, you aren't going to see come to fruition. It's exhausting and it's very easy to get burnt out. But I think one of the benefits of being young and being new is that you you have that fresh set of eyes and you have that audacity to think big and think better. Um, and as a new individual to the nonprofit, that might be, you know, one of the best things you can bring to the org is that fresh set of eyes, those big ideas. Um, and if they get shot down, well then, Oh, well, they got shot down, but, and the off chance that it happens, then that's amazing. That's incredible. Um, and it's a really, really good thing.
0: Oh, absolutely! And I, I absolutely agree with you on just like I think nonprofit burnout is a huge topic. I love <laughs> talking about, mm-hmm. um, and definitely if you have any like tips for things that you kind of use to prevent your own burnout, would be great. But I sometimes I think yeah, like getting in just like some fresh people some fresh blood. even I don't think I'm that old at 26 but even like our interns <laughs> help keep me
1: young. <laughs> <laughs> right. so
0: play things and look at things like yeah just bringing in new people can mm-hmm. give sometimes the organization like and for the people like the refresh that you need to just like feel kind of like jazzed up again so um I love that yeah do you have any kind of things that you did to help yourself with like nonprofit burnout and kind of prevent like running yourself like too
1: far on the ground? One thing that I did every single day when I was working for the ADA, we got these, um, emails called daily clips and it was a list of news articles, either relating to the ADA or diabetes in general. And, um, I think a lot of people, (laughs) I know my coworkers who got them, they usually just deleted them. Um, But we got them every single day from the national office. And one thing that I found to really help with burnout or just on the days where I really, you know, was feeling kind of defeated, that really feeling like we're, you know, trying to accomplish a mission that is so big. Like, how is it even possible? Um, But every single day I would read the daily clips and it was so cool to every single day, read of a either minor or major victory or win for the diabetes community or the ADA. Because every single day there was something. something. Sometimes it was something super small and sometimes it was something really big like passing the um, diabetes action plan for the state of Wisconsin. And just being reminded of that every single day was my way of having a fresh um sense of motivation being like oh yeah this is why we're doing it we are we are making accomplishments we are making progress and it might be small but sometimes it's big and eventually those small victories are gonna add up to big ones oh I love that so my last question and
0: Mm -hmm. I think this is gonna be like a Permanent segment to end Ooh. um interviews with. Um maybe not if people don't like it. I don't know. Um <laughs> what I want to ask you is that you've done so much amazing work with mm-hmm. the American Diabetes Association, you're doing amazing work with Operation Alone, Miss America, Children's Miracle Network Hospitals, all of these amazing things. But um aside from that or within that, I don't know. Um what just is your favorite way on a day-to-day basis um that you're making an impact? Positively, um, for somebody else,
1: oh, well, the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question is taking care of my dog um,
0: <laughs> he, right
1: he, thank you. Um, he is just a little puppy, and he is very dependent on me. He you know needs me to feed him, take him outside and pretty much at this point in his life, he needs me in order to survive. And so, um, I think that has been honestly my biggest savior since I lost my job with the ADA was having something or someone else to give my time and my serving heart to. Um, I think as, um, people who work in nonprofit we have such a serving and giving heart and we feel the constant need to be giving that to someone or something. Um, and I, when I lost my job at the ADA, I honest, quite honestly felt lost. I didn't know what to do with myself. And so I ended up adopting this cute little guy and he's been, you know, my purpose right now. He is who I am striving to make an impact towards every single day. Um, and I'm so thankful for that because, like I said, I, I think people in nonprofits so largely identify with their serving hearts and their giving hearts, and they almost need that in order to function. <laughs>
0: Oh, I love And also, too, I mean, you get some really cute puppy snuggles. In it. Oh, yeah. So.
1: <laughs> absolutely. I mean, he impacts me just as much as I impact him. That is for sure.
0: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but also, like you said, too, I mean, you were a rescue, like, Ma, like a foster dog mom for yeah. so many puppies, like, before you even got Murray. So, yeah. I mean, you're making that impact for all of those sweet little puppies from their forever homes, and uh, it's just the sweetest thing. So, we'll thank, <laughs> thank you. you for all of that. Thank you for this. I think this was an incredible interview. I think this had so many incredible, like, things for people to – to hear and to learn from your perspective. Um, and so hopefully it was really good for our audience. I think it will be. So thank you so much for taking the time to do this with me today. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it.
1: Oh my goodness. No, thank you for having me. I feel so honored that you thought of me as successful enough to be the person to talk all things donor relations and leveraging that into a career and income. Um, I am very flattered that you thought of me as your go-to person for this interview. So thank you for having me. I really oh appreciate it. Gosh, absolutely.
0: <laughs> I mean, you were, when I started thinking about this, like months ago and putting together like a a guest list I was like I want Jennifer to talk about like how she got into ADA (laughs) I wanted to do this for like months with you so thank Mm -hmm. you um I'm I'm honored that you wanted to be here that you Mm -hmm. um wanted to also join like our own team and then I get to see you like every week working on things it's just so great so thank you again um I can't wait um yeah to give this information out to the world so thank you so much Jen
1: oh of course of course
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Make an Impact podcast. If you enjoyed yourself, would you do a little rate, review, subscribe dance? And if you really enjoyed yourself, would you share this on social media so someone else can catch the impact bug? Until next time, friend, I can't wait to see what kind of impact you make on your world.